Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning comes from Proverbs 25, verses 11 and 12. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver, like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. The verses preceding this text taught us that contentious words and spreading of rumor brings shame and ruin of reputation. This text puts that truth in sharp relief. Glory and beauty are attached to wisdom. Wise words fitly spoken adorn. Wise words received and applied they make beautiful. One consideration we need to review is that the word that adorns is a fitly spoken word. A word is lovely when it is given at the right time, in the right context, and to the right person or people. That is what fitly spoken means. And by way of application, this means that we must be wise in choosing not only which words we use, but the context in which we use them. Wise words are true, but the truth can be harsh. Wisdom knows how to make the truth beautiful, and the key is context, combining truth with love. Another consideration is that wisdom has a backbone. Wisdom rebukes. Verse 12, like an earring of gold and an ornament of, the, of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. So wisdom has a backbone. And as we just covered, it does rebuke, but it does it wisely. It does so without tiptoeing around sin. The glory verse 12 talks about is the glory that is available to those who will listen. But it's a contingent glory and it's contingent on the obedience of the listener. And that brings two points of application. First, have a backbone. Be willing to speak the truth. And, and then be willing, so have a backbone, be willing to speak the truth, be willing to rebuke folly when you see it. Second, be a good listener. And that means obey wise rebukes. Take the time to hear those who have counsel for you and put their wisdom into practice. All of this hits the ground running in the gospel. Jesus is the word. And he is the word not only fitly spoken, he is the word perfectly spoken. He is the embodiment of beauty and glory because he is God in the flesh, God incarnate. He reveals truth to mankind in the gospel. And the gospel is a direct rebuke against mankind and our sin. The fact that we are sinners is a harsh truth, and Jesus never softens it, but he tempers it with love. 
Thus, the hum- for the humble, the cross is the most beautiful thing in the world, the symbol of God's love and forgiveness. But for those who are lost, it is the ugliest, most despicable thing in the world, the symbol of depravity and shame. Now we have a choice. Will we humble ourselves and confess our sin and receive the wisdom and adornment of God, eternal life and glory? Or will we harden our hearts and turn down that precious gift and bear our shame and the just penalty for our sins to eternal damnation? The choice is obvious. We must confess our sins. So if you're willing and able, please kneel and pray. fire and as such we must approach him in reverence and godly fear our text this morning is from Leviticus chapter 10 and we're going to be looking at what happened to Nadab and Abihu Aaron's sons how they died before the Lord because they offered strange fire As you can tell from our sermon title, I'll also be giving a a brief and general introduction to the book of Leviticus, because as you have noticed by now, we have already spent a considerable amount of time in the book of Leviticus during our worship series, Um, so I plan to spend the next couple of weeks addressing some themes and topics in the book that flow out of proper worship, things like holy living and ceremonial and moral laws. How how, how do we interpret those? How do do we look at those through the New Testament? Or the clean and the unclean distinctions? Or the requirements for the priesthood or Sabbath-keeping? Sexual purity, atonement, and providing for the future of the covenant? All these things are topics that are addressed in the book of Leviticus. So I will be giving you a, a brief overview of the book as preparation for the next few weeks. But we start in Leviticus 10, verses 1 through 7. Just jumping right in. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me I must be regarded as holy, and therefore all the people, and before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. Then Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not uncover your heads, nor tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the people. 
But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. You shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. So here we see how Aaron's two eldest sons, Nadab and Abihu, died. They offered profane fire before the Lord. And fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. This passage is one that you will run up against regularly when you start talking about the regulative principle. And people are warning us about how dangerous it is to violate God's commandments in regards to worship. They're quick to point out how innovation in worship has dire consequences, and there seems to be weight to this warning. We can, on the surface, we can clearly see that God does not take what Nadab and Abihu did very lightly. The problem for us is defining what was it that they did. How, how do we make sense of this? It seems like an overreaction on God's part. Well, let us start with the text itself. It says that in going to offer incense, they offered profane fire, and this was not commanded by God. So we know that much for certain. It's clear in the text. Also, Moses gives us some clarification when he tells Aaron that those who approach God must consider God as holy, and they must honor God before all the people. So from this, we can presume that this was lacking in Nadab and Abihu's approach. They were not. They were not approaching God as holy, and they were not honoring God before all the people. And that is why Aaron held his peace after Moses told him this. In Leviticus 16, this event is referenced with a little more explanation. In Leviticus 16, verses 1 and 2. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Now it's not certain that that's what Nadab and Abihu were doing, but we do see here that timing may have been inappropriate in when they approached God. And perhaps they went too far into the temple. They went to the Holy of Holies, into the tabernacle. And, and we have a little bit of background of this on this in the scriptures. And for that background, we're going to turn to Exodus chapter 24, where Nadab and Abihu had been singled out by God to commune with him on the mountain with the 70 elders and Moses and Aaron. So Exodus 24, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 9 through 11. Exodus 24. Now the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord... You and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. And then skipping down to verse 9. Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw 
the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God, and they ate and drank. So we see that Nadab and Abihu were used to being in a position of authority. They were used to having being singled out for God's service. They were used to those 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 honors, those glories. They, they might have taken it upon themselves, having been given such a privilege to think more highly of themselves than they ought to have, especially after having just been consecrated. So in the immediately preceding chapter to this text, we have the consecration of, uh, in chapter 8, we have the consecration of Nadab and Abihu and Aaron, and in chapter 9, we have the first worship service of Israel. So they had freshly been consecrated, and and now they are feeling pretty full of themselves, and they go and get themselves killed. Also, we see that there is a good chance that alcohol may may have been involved. The verses immediately following verses 1 through 7 of our text are a prohibition against drinking alcohol in the service of the tabernacle. So right after Nadab and Abihu go and offer this profane fire and are struck dead, and Moses, you know, he stops Aaron from from mourning lest he be killed, then the next thing that happens is they take the bodies out and, and Moses gives a command that you're not supposed to drink alcohol when you go to the temple. Verses 8 through 11. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, that you may distinguish between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean, and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. So here we have all these various factors that may be coming into play, and we can't speak dogmatically about what happened. Even the strange fire itself is something that we have have difficulty defining. Um, In in Exodus, Moses forbids, or God forbids, the use of strange incense, but he never talks about strange fire until we get to this passage here. so it might have been that it was it was uh, unholy incense that was used, or unsanctioned incense, or potentially it could have been common fire from the camp or from the the fire that was used to to, to cook the peace offerings was not on a sanctified altar, because that was something that all the people could partake in. Um, later on in Leviticus, God gives a command that. When you go to offer incense in the temple, you need to take your fire from the bronze altar of the whole burnt offering, or the the ascension offering, that that was sanctified fire. So it might have been that that they were using uh, unholy incense, or uh, common fire from the camp, or from the altar of the peace offering. Um, And incidentally, the fire that was burning on the altar of of uh, the ascension altar had just come down out of heaven. We read in the last verses of Leviticus 9 
our preceding chapter. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their face. So this is the this is the setting in which now right after this happens, Nadab and Abihu go grab their censers and approach the temple. Now perhaps that's why they were afraid to get fire from the altar. Is that fire just fallen out of heaven to consume everything that was on the altar? We don't know. And no matter which it is, we can't be dogmatic about it. And the identity of the strange fire is left somewhat of a mystery as well as the exact particulars of Nadab and Abihu's sin. We don't know the details. But that may well be what God intends for us to know. This is a general warning against innovation in, in worship. What is clear is that Nadab and Abihu did sin against God's holiness. And they were consumed by it. Worship is all about us coming into God's holy presence. You and me, fallen men, being drawn into the perfect, holy presence of God. Everything about that event is grace. It's God coming down, calling us to himself, atoning for our sin sanctifying us and constituting us as his people it's grace and life it is covenant everything about worship is being drawn into God's holy presence but God's holy presence is, is, is exactly that our God is a consuming fire the presence of God is in his fire, which sanctifies his holy ones by consuming the, the, the sacrificial offerings. It sanctifies them, and it consumes those who presume upon his holiness. It consumes the wicked. The wicked cannot come into God's presence and survive. It's not allowed. It, it, it cannot happen. There's only one way we can come to our God, and that's through the blood of Christ. And now there are several places in the Old Testament where we see that our God is a consuming fire. His fire consumes Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness. He appears in fire in the book of Exodus, in the burning bush. At Mount Sinai, he's, 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 he's seen as a consuming fire on the mountain as the smoke uh, flows up into the sky. He appears in fire in, in the book of Exodus at Mount Sinai in verse 24. In chapter 24, starting in verse 16. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. 
Moses was a type there of our Lord who goes up into the presence of God and then he comes down and brings God's law down to his people. We also see the consuming fire of God in Numbers chapter 16. And that, that's a glorious passage where it's talking about those who would presume upon the holiness of God. It's the rebellion of Korah. Now the, the, wilder, the, the, the Israelites had been wandering in the wilderness and they were getting frustrated. They were tired and hungry and they were afraid they were going to die in the wilderness. And they were accusing uh, Moses of leading them in the wilderness to die. And then they said, and, and who are you anyway? We're, we're all sons of Levi too. We have been sanctified. We're holy. And Moses comes and challenges them. So I'm going to read a, a good chunk of number 16, starting at verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown, they gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy. Every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy. And will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses, that one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah and all your company. Put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. And the story is, is it's drawn out. I'm going to skip a few verses. We're moving down to verse 16. And Moses said to Korah, Tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord, you and they as well as Aaron. Let each take his censer and put incense in it, and each of you bring his censer before the Lord. 250 censers, both you and Aaron, each with his censer. So every man took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Then Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. Then they fell on their faces and said, O oh God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation? So the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And we're skipping a few verses again. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah, with all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. 
And that's where we usually stop when we're reading this story. We forget the next verse. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. Our God is a holy God. He consumes the offerings on the altars for a pleasing aroma to himself, to sanctify his people, and he consumes the wicked. He could, there's several more examples of his consuming uh, offerings. He offers the, the offering of, on David's altar at the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, the ascension offering at the dedication of Solomon's temple in Jerusalem, and the offering on Mount Carmel when Elijah was mocking the priests of Baal. God sends his fire out of heaven and consumes it. Our God is a consuming fire. And this is not abolished in the New Testament. If we, if we look at the, the modern church today, you would think that it was abolished. That the, the, the whimsical way in which people approach God, the, the, the lack of awe and respect and honor that they give to Him, He does come near to us. He does remove the temple from far away and bring it into our hearts and into us and into the body of his people wherever they are so that wherever two or more are gathered together our God is there but he does not diminish his holiness or consuming fire at all it's instead it's confirmed Jesus starts his ministry telling the Jews that every tree which is not fruitful will be cut down and what thrown into the fire John the Baptist tells us that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. All through Jesus' ministry, Jesus talks about hell more than anybody else in the Bible. Hell, fire, and brimstone. Lake of fire, where the worm does not die. His, he, it's a constant warning against not coming to God in humility against apostasy from the covenant. Luke tells us that Jesus came to set the world on fire. Luke 12, 49. I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Jesus comes to bring his fire. And in Acts 2, we see the Holy Spirit alighting on the heads of the apostles in tongues of fire. Now, Jesus' Holy Spirit, Jesus' fire divides it separates it separates it separates father from son husband from wife it separates it, it purifies his chosen ones and it crushes destroys his enemies after the establishment of the church we see the holiness of God established in the fear of God in the death of Ananias and Sapphira the church is growing, it's growing gangbusters. And Ananias and Sapphira take it upon themselves to lie to the Holy Spirit. And they die. In Corinthians, Paul explains how all of our work will be tried by fire. And the wood, hay, and stubble will be consumed, but the gold, silver, and precious stones will be preserved. And the reward for those who build with those stones will be great. 
1 Corinthians 3. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And finally, in Hebrews, Paul says it point blank. In Hebrews, I've referenced this multiple times in multiple sermons. <laughs> Our God is a consuming fire. We must serve him with reverence and godly fear. He is holy. And the point of all this is that there's no question that his holiness amounts to an inferno. The, the issue at question is, is what's the difference? Why are the sheep preserved and the goats damned? What's the difference between the fire in the belly from the Holy Spirit and the fire and brimstone which the damned are destined to? And I propose there's no difference in the fire. It's God's holiness. It's His sanctifying presence that completely eradicates evil, destroys it, the difference is in the sheep and the goat. It's in that person who is who is in the ark or not. It's in that, that person who is in Christ, who's baptized, living in, in by faith in covenant with God, covered by his righteousness, atoned for by his blood at the cross. There's no difference except that Christ sanctifies us through death and resurrection. We already participate in that death. We already participate in that life. He gives us new life in which we can participate in God's presence and survive. We are his chosen ones, his covenant people, and Jesus has redeemed us from the wrath of God against our sin. In him we are holy, clothed in white robes of righteousness and invited into the Holy of Holies. Every one of us gets to go into God's cleansing presence and commune with Him. There's no longer a profane and holy division for the saints. He's here, in us, with us, all the time. We no longer have the clean and unclean uh, ceremonial distinctions. We are holy, holy. That is completely holy, entirely saved, entirely redeemed, not yet perfected, but we are prepared for perfection. We are set on the path. We are washed in the blood of the cross. And this brings us to the book of Leviticus. And this will be brief, I promise. Over the next few weeks, I don't want to get bogged down in the book of Leviticus, because we could easily get bogged down in the book of Leviticus. 
But I do want to cover the themes of the book. Since we spent so much time here over the last few months, I would feel remiss if we did not take this opportunity to cover several remaining themes and topics found in this book, things like I mentioned in our introduction. But for now, I want to offer you a brief outline of the book, to just give it a little bit of coherence in your mind. Um, chapters 1 through 7 outline the sacrifices. The sacrifices and the laws of the sacrifices. In chapters 1 through 7, God is, is giving us, he's, he's laying the foundation for a relationship with him. He's initiating relationship with him. It's a covenantal action that he's doing there. In chapters 8 through 16, we see the uh, a, a anointing of the priests, the first worship service, and the fall of the priests in Nadab and Abihu's death in, in verses 8 through 10. And then 11 through 16 is about how God cleanses his house. So he, he, he starts by cleaning his house, we fall, and then he recleans his house. So this whole section, chapters 8 through 16, is about God showing his people how to be cleansed. You guys following me? So 1 through 7 is God initiating. 8 through 16 is God cleansing. Are we following the pattern here from our covenant renewal worship pattern? 17 through 22 is about holy living before God. It's sanctifying his chosen people. The point of this is not to bear God's name in vain. Leviticus chapter 19 is right at the center of this section. It's chiastic. It goes in, out, and in. You guys know about that? Okay. Chapter 19 is at the heart of this. In that chapter, God says, I am the Lord. He gives them a command. I am the Lord. He gives them a command. I am the Lord. And his whole point there is that he wants us to be like him. Holy. I am the Lord. That is my name. My name is Holy. You need to be this way. So chapter 17 through 22 is about God sanctifying and consecrating his people. Verse, uh, chapter 23 is about Sabbaths. It's about rest. It's about relationship with God. It's about peace. And there's more, there's more going on there, but it's a, it, it outlines the feasts. And then chapters 24 through 27 are about the succession of the covenant. It's basically the marching orders. It's about how God is going to make this move forward into the future. How God is going to establish covenant over time. And in there we get blessings and curses. In there we get uh, teaching on tithing and how God's going to provide for his people through their faithful service. But what we shall see as in this section of this worship series, this last tail end of it, is that right worship makes a right nation who lives rightly, and we are called to be a holy people. God is making us into his likeness, and this is what we read at the heart of Leviticus in chapter 19. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost.
morning I'd like to give you a brief exhortation about the fencing of the table. When we fence the table, it's not about, or primarily about, keeping the Lord's Supper holy. The, the Lord's Supper is holy because our God is holy, and He gives it to us. Now obviously we don't want to diminish the glory of God's gift to us at this table, but fencing it is about protecting those who are apostate. Nadab and Abihu were invited onto the mountain to eat with Moses and Aaron and the 70 elders and God. And approaching this table unworthily is to eat and drink judgment on yourself. And that's why Paul tells us to examine ourselves when we approach the Lord's table. He gives us the warning that we would be eating and drinking judgment on ourselves in 1 Corinthians 11. But on the other side of the coin, while the danger is very real, this is a covenantal meal. And it's a gracious gift from our God for his people. This is the place where we are really blessed. Where we are really given peace with our God in our glorious Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. We really are drawn into his life and peace and fellowship as we eat and as we drink. So eat, drink, confess your sin, and believe, knowing the power of God and cherishing that he has provided a way for you into his holy presence without being utterly consumed. Christ's body, broken for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.